let's pray. Father, as we come now to gather around your word, we pray, O Lord, for the pouring out of your spirit upon this reading of familiar passages. Also, Lord, for your spirit to be upon my words and upon the meditations of our hearts, that we would, as we um, continue to follow you, that we would hear you speaking to us and build our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, back in the early 1990s, I was uh, privileged to be a part of a group of people in Beaver County getting a Habitat for Humanity um, chapter started. And um, actually, a couple years into it, they made me president of the board. Now, but that does not mean that I was an expert on construction, not by any stretch of the imagination. We had people on our board who had those gifts and took care of that. But at the same time, that doesn't mean I was no dummy when it comes to some basics of construction. And one of those is the importance of when you build a house before you even think about walls and interior decorating and finishing touches and all that, you got to have a firm foundation on which to build that thing. If you don't get that foundation right, the rest of it is, is pointless and it's all going to fall apart. You know, Jesus knew that too, right? You know, Jesus talked about the passage we read about the importance of building on a rock versus building on sand. And those who would follow him and listen to his teachings, those would be the ones who would build their lives, build their faith on a rock that would last. Whereas if you don't do that, it's like building on sand and you know what happens, right? And so our Christian faith is just like that too, you know? Um, There there are ways that we might think about our faith that, eh, may need to have some more rock. Because in some ways we might say, well, our Christian faith is about, you know, God loves us and God wants us to be nice to each other and to do good things and to help others and um, recognize, oh, yes, sometimes we make mistakes and that happens. And sometimes those mistakes are on the level of a sin that we need to be forgiven of. And so we pray and we know God's going to forgive us and, and then everything is going to be fine. Now, that sounds nice to a point, I guess, and may be helpful in some ways, but if that's all that our faith is, it's going to crumble. It won't stand at all. It's like building on sand. So, I want us to think about what our, what the foundation is upon which we build our lives and what guides us, especially as we Look at the world around us. You know, how does that shape, how does that foundation shape not just our faith, but how we live in this world and our worldview? And, you know, we hear so many conflicting voices in the world around us trying to make sense out of the world and how we should live and all of that. And I just think that if we are going to be people of the book, people who say we live off of Scripture, that we need to look at what the Scripture says about our faith and about the foundations of our faith. And so the foundation really comes to us from the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, right? And we're at the beginning of a new year and a time for many of us. How many made your resolutions and all that kind of stuff? You know, we start thinking about. But it's easy to start looking ahead and say, okay, here's 
a new opportunity, a clean slate, whatever, and how we might do that. And so for us, I'm sure you've heard this before, but we do well to be reminded of this as we launch off into the new year and years to come. Now, my usual practice for 35 years of, of, um, of ministry was I would have one text that uh, I would start off with and, um, and then may, might pull some other texts in and that would do that. But for today, this one, you can't do that. It, it's going to be broken into three sections. And, and so my usual practice, too, was, has always been um, coming out of the Old Testament and people would stand when God would be speaking to them. And so my practice has always been to stand in honor of God's Word. But I don't want to do calisthenics this morning and do that three times, okay? So I'll let you remain seated, but think in your minds, this this is God's holy Word that we hear and what that says to us. And so I want to begin with, in Genesis chapter 1, some familiar words. Listen to the Word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Well, so we start off with acknowledging God in the beginning. God, recognizing that God is, has been, always will be from the very beginning. And out of that, God came and created this world. That's a very different approach from those who would deny the existence of any kind of God or even a designer or creator or anything like that. Who would say it all happened by chance. You know, there are those who would say that, that we look around and see everything that happened. I read one time somebody said this is like um, any cat lovers out there. Okay, this would be like having your cat walk on your computer keyboard. Cats know how to do that, you know, right? Okay, the cat walking on a computer keyboard over and over and over randomly. And eventually, over time, he would chance that cat would end up typing out a Shakespeare play. Ain't going to happen, is it? No, there has to be something or someone who puts all of this together. And it's not so much about how, but it's the who. God, God created. In Romans 1.20, Paul says, you know, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. There are not so many people who are so hard in their atheism that they can't at least be awed by the creation that we see. 
And a part of that creation that God created was where it says what, what, we, what we read today. You know, I mean, the Genesis chapter 1 goes through the six days of creation and the various pieces. But then we get to the sixth piece, the sixth day, and what we read where God created the crowning achievement, which was us human beings. And the text says that they were created male and female in God's image. And they were created to be fruitful and to multiply. And that fruitfulness and multiplication would come through what we read further on in chapter 2, verse 24, where God says a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and the two become one flesh. And it's out of that one flesh union between a husband and a wife that God ordained that we would be fruitful and multiply. And we also read that God gave human beings that stewardship of creation and to care for the world and, and to uh, grow food and, and to have all of that. And, and I find it interesting that even as we read that, where many people want to look at creation and the whole Bible through the lens, purely through the lens of love and love. Do you know, if you, and depending upon the, the version that you use and do a word study, the real concept of love doesn't really even show up until about the 22nd chapter of Genesis. This is about a holy God who created and who created a good creation. In fact, a very good creation. We need to hold to that. But it didn't last, did it? No. So we continue in the story in chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, Max Lucado, popular preacher and writer, a number of years ago wrote a uh, Christian fantasy called Cosmic Christmas. Any of you familiar with that? Maybe read that? Okay. And he, he tells the story of how Satan comes to God bragging 
about how he had been able to um, convince Adam and Eve to misuse the best gift that God had given them, that gift of choice, or we might call it free will. That Satan had come into the good world, into this good creation, and had then deceived Adam and Eve by having them misuse their choice and plunge the world into sin. It's what we call the fall. And that began with Satan casting doubt. Did God really say? Did God really say? And by casting doubt then, he leads Adam and Eve astray and into disobedience. And we have the fall where sin and death came into the world. That certainly is not God's intention from the beginning of things. No, God intended things to be for good and for life. But God said, if you eat of that on that day, you will surely die. And that came true because now death has come into the picture and ruined it. And things were not as they should be, not as they were created and designed to be. And we still see that in our world today. Oh, you know, there, there are evidences of God's goodness in this world. Don't deny that. You know, there are some great people and, who, and people who love sacrificially and do great deeds and work for a better world and all of that. But the good things that God created have been tarnished. They're not as God intended This world is fallen and broken. And I think sometimes we find ourselves even accepting less than God's best as the best because that's all that we know. But there's something even better than that. And Satan plays into that continually. He he continues to cast doubt. Did God really say? And by doing that, people are led astray from the way that God calls people to live. We look around at the culture around us. Boy, it's, it's going on out there, isn't it? It's just crazy. Some of the things that we see going on increasingly so. But I say it even creeps into corners of the church. Because if Satan is about the business of deceiving people, he doesn't need to worry about those people who don't believe in God. He needs, he's, he's after us. Casting doubt. And where is it that we're going to stand those of us in the church, you know, just because we are Christians doesn't mean that Satan's going to leave us alone. No, he's coming after us. So did God really say that created male and female and a man would leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife? Why not? Why not? You know, as many genders as we want to make and define and describe and do whatever with. And even if that means we really don't know what we're doing anymore, we end up mutilating healthy bodies, even of children. Or of two men or two women who come together somehow trying to think that they can be fruitful and multiply and all that. And just and it just goes on down from there. Or did God really say. That people who follow Jesus are following somebody who suffered and calls for his followers to be willing to suffer. Why not, why not enjoy all kinds of prosperity and health and those kinds of things as signs of God's blessing upon us and uh, proclaim that and then people give you to your ministry and that way you can go off and buy your mansions and private jets, right? No. Did God really say that he knows a life, even when it's in the womb, 
even before it's conceived. That God knows that? Or, or why, why not? No, 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 no. We, we can be in a position where we have the choice to make decisions about a pregnancy that is unintended or inconvenient. Or did, did God really say we're to give Him His tithe, that tenth, and even more beyond that? I mean, instead, why, why not just take care of yourself first and enjoy the pleasures that the world has for us and enjoy all of that and, and do that? And then if there's any leftovers, we just throw the scraps to God. What did God really say? Deny yourself. Take up the cross. Die to yourself and to your own desires and set those aside. Why not instead pursue your own happiness and to become your own best self? You know, Satan is still very much at work casting doubt on God's Word, calling people to abuse even that gift of choice or free will. And it's getting worse. I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older, but I think, you know, we look around and it's easy to see where we see more and more selfishness and greed and violence and discrimination, moral confusion, broken families, on and on. And where does that end? Well, our third text comes from Genesis 6. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But... Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. From the earliest days, things got worse, you know. Havoc was created. <clears throat> it started with just eating that fruit, the forbidden fruit. And not long after that, we find Cain killing his brother Abel. And then it just went, got worse and worse down there. And, and God, by the time we get to Genesis 6, God sees the world the mess that is in, and he's grieved. And so he vows then to destroy and start all over. Well, we know the story of the flood, right? In fact, I don't know too many church buildings that I've been in, in Sunday school rooms. I haven't seen the children's Sunday school rooms here, but pretty much every Sunday school, every church has, a, has one Sunday school room of children's Sunday school rooms that on the wall is decorated with, you know, Noah and the animals, right? I mean, it's a great, great story. And God destroyed everything except for Noah and his family and the animals that came in two by two into that ark. And God then, after that flood, vowed that he would never do that again and put the rainbow in the sky as a reminder for him and for us of that promise. But that's not to say that that bad stuff and the evil that goes on can't and won't continue to happen in that way. You know, left to our own devices, the humanist approach wants to try to make the world, make the world better and better, but, you know, it's not happening. I mean, there, there's some bright moments in there, you know, every once in a while the light of goodness does shine through, but in the long run, 
it's not happening. It seems that things are getting worse. And we can just pray that God would have mercy as he remembers the bow in the sky. But the good news of the gospel is that God has given a way out of that. In Genesis 6, he saw Noah. And Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And through Noah, the human race was spared. God saved and redeemed his people through Noah. And now God looks on this mess of the world and he sees another through whom his people are saved, spared, and redeemed. And that is his only son, Jesus, who he sent into this world to take on our sin upon himself. And it is through him that God's redeeming work continues even today. And all we have to do is just simply trust in Jesus and accept what He has done for us, that He has taken our sin upon Himself, set us free, and granted us life, life in this world and life for all eternity. And so we have a choice of what foundation we're going to build our lives and build our faith and through which we will see the world around us. We can, we can deny the existence of God altogether and leave, it, leave everything to a chance and maybe you have to go around all, all year with your fingers crossed hoping that chances work out all right and hoping that and that somehow we can get our human act together. Or, or we can acknowledge that there is God who has created and calls us to love and to serve one another, but who also looks and is willing to adapt and change His Word to fit whatever it is that we might want or be comfortable with. Or, or we can build on the firm foundation of God's Word that He created a good and perfect world for all of us. But that world, that good creation is now fallen because of the sin through the deception of of Satan. And Satan is still at work, casting doubt, leaving us hopeless apart from Christ. But God is at work in this creation, working from the beginning to redeem and ultimately to restore His creation to what He intended. Creation, fall, and redemption to ultimate restoration. Those are the building blocks of a biblical worldview. The foundation upon which we build our lives and live out our faith in Christ. Let's trust in Him and follow Him. Let's not live on that shifting sand of whatever, but let's build our lives on the rock, on that firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. And do that as we go into this new year and into the rest of our lives and into all eternity to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you acknowledging You are the great creator beyond measure. 
But Lord, we live in a fallen world. We recognize that. Have mercy. We thank you too, O Lord, for your gracious gift of redemption that we have through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to live in that faith built on that foundation now and forever. To the glory of God we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.